Welcome to the last session in this seminar, The Most Essential and Attacked Gift of God's Remnant Church. Today we will look at the foretold attack uh, of the spirit of prophecy, some very interesting and uh, important things, I believe. Um, but before we do that, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you that you are a God that wants to communicate with us. And that you also have promised to give wisdom to help us understand what you want to tell us. We pray that for this hour that you may help us understand uh, what you have told us and help us to understand yeah, how you inspire your prophets and what, what specifically uh, the spirit of prophecy, writings of Ellen White, means to us or what it should mean to us. Um, that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll start with just repeating a little bit what we looked at uh, at the last session. Uh, we looked at um, eight reasons for why the right to white should be given our attention. Eight reasons for the in- that shows us of the importance of our writings. Uh, first, simply, you know, a, a prophet that is inspired by God that gives a message, shares a message from our loving God and Savior. Uh, another reason is that, you know, prophets is God's main way to communicate. Welcome. Uh, so therefore, this is a good reason to give it our attention. The third reason, it is the most essential gift we looked at, of the gifts to the church. So that means it's an, yeah, it's an important thing. It shows us the importance of this gift. Uh, the fourth reason, we do not study the Bible enough. Uh, therefore, we need this extra uh, help. It's like a magnifier that helps us see clearer uh, when we don't see so well. Um, fifth reason, God speaks for a reason. You know, He's not the type of guy that stands up and shares pointless things like this guy having the <laughs> children's story in church, right? Uh, God is not like that. He shares, he speaks, he shares a message for a reason and he shares much light for a reason. You know, giving approximately tw- 2,000 Wishes to Ellen White, it was a reason for it, you know, it's something important. Uh, God wants to communicate to us that we also should give our attention. Uh, another reason is we have been told that uh, the gift of prophecy, or we, we understand, I think, from the Bible, that the gift of prophecy will have a, uh, a special uh, importance in the time of the end, where it will be so much confusion and, uh, and you know, in the religious world that this gift will help us you know, to stay strong and not be thrown to and fro, right? Like one of the points of the gifts are, or the purposes of the gifts are, to help us to not be thrown to and fro. Uh, and it will, you know, it will speak with greater force in the time of the end, her writings, she says. It will be, in a way, even more important in the end. It will continue to speak till the end, she writes, as we looked at yesterday. Um, another thing... Um, we talked briefly about, uh, I believe, this gift and the light God has given through Ellen White will play an important role in finishing the work and reaching the world. So, anyway, some repetition there. You know, if God raised up a, you know, a prophet with an important mission and message that we understand that he has done by, by studying you know, the Bible and testing um, Ellen White with the biblical test of a prophet... Uh, of course, Satan would do everything he could to work against it, right? If this is a special, important message that people need to hear today, for sure, welcome, 
for sure, Satan would do everything he could, you know, to hinder people from hearing and heeding this message, right? Uh, no doubt about that. Now, uh, come with me to the book of Revelation. Welcome. Come with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. And uh, there we will read famous and important verse talking about God's remnant people in the time of the end, uh, the church of God, the people of God in the time of the end. Here we see some of the identifying characteristics that helps us understand who the people of God, what the church of God in the time of the end, or which the church which church it is. Anyway, it says here, And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Um, now, there are two identifying characteristics here that we often notice, and that is the two most important ones. And that is, right, keeping the commandments of God and that, of course, includes all the commandments, not only nine of them, also the Sabbath commandment. And having the testimony of Jesus Christ, which we looked at the first session, is the spirit of prophecy. Or we see clearly when we see what uh, uh, John writes later in the book of Revelation, the gift of prophecy. Those who have the, spirit, the testimony of Jesus or the spirit of prophecy, those are the ones that basically, that, that is the prophets, uh, he, he writes. He Look in Revelation 22. Anyway, that is the two most important ones, the two characteristics we usually notice. But there is a third characteristic of God's remnant church here that we are going to notice. Very interesting. Uh, that This one people often miss. Can I see if anyone of you find it? What more are we told here about... Yeah, it's a little bit... It's not the easiest one to see. See if anyone will get it. Satan wants to, to attack. Exactly. That Satan wants to attack. It says here, the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of their seed. So the Bible actually tells us Satan will attack God's remnant church. That is uh, an identifying characteristic that, yeah, we... We shouldn't overlook. It's important to have in mind and remember that one as well, even though I think the other ones are even more important. Um, you know, uh, I heard uh, one of my teachers uh, when I went to Arise, a Bible school there, he, he, used, he said that you know, often people came to him on evangelistic meetings and, you know, during the series, in the end of the meetings, he said, like, oh, I really like your meetings, you know, and, and uh, what you preach here and what you share here. But uh, then I went to the internet you know, and I found all kind of negative stuff about your church. But then uh, he t my teacher, he said, then he answered, praise God, that is one of the identifying characteristics of God's remnant church, you know. <laughs> and it's true, it's true. Uh, <laughs> it is actually, of course, you know, it, not everything that is attacked is true, but this is actually also a characteristic of God's remnant church. And, uh, you know, it also says here, it says enraged. Uh, I looked up this word and it means actually very angry and furious. Not only angry, but very angry and furious. In the King James Version it says wrath. He was wrath with the woman or the, the rest of her offspring. That means extreme anger. 
So it's not just a little bit, he will do everything he can, you know, to attack uh, this church. And I believe it's not unlogical, actually it's reasonable to say or to expect that especially what would be attacked by Satan would be these two things, the other two things that separate this group from other believers, right? The commandment of God and the testament of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, the gift of prophecy. The, are, are you with me on that? Do you think that makes sense? If, he will, if this is the one that are the people of God and this is the two things that separates them, to, that actually makes them the people of God or kind of separates them from the others, of course, that will be especially the attention of the focus of Satan's attacks. And I think that is exactly what we see. Like you really see, right, the law of God has been attacked, right. you know, in, in so many, uh, yeah, in different ways. And also the spirit of prophecy, the gifts of prophecy, is, you know, just go into the internet and you find so much critique, you know, and negative things and attacks uh, on this. And, you know, I think... Um, in a way, when we see that, it shouldn't, it shouldn't shake our faith, but in one way it should actually give us confidence because we should have expected uh, to see this. Actually, if we did not see this, we should start to wonder, okay, is this really, is this really a prophet of God? You know? No critique if everybody would like, like this person. Because uh, actually, even though, because even though we didn't have this verse, we should have expected... Um, Satan's attacks on a modern prophet. Because right, all, all up through history, we see how the prophets of God are attacked. You know, how people don't want to listen to them, even of the people of God, you know, even of Israel. Many times, they don't, they don't want to listen to the prophets. Right? So we, we should have, it shouldn't be surprising at all that there are attacks against the spirit of prophecy and the gifts of prophecy. Anyway, today we we look at some of the attacks that has been made uh, on the spirit of prophecy, on the uh, writings of Ellen White. And we'll begin with uh, one attack that I think is kind of a little bit from the outside, and then we'll look on some things, kind of attacks I think you can see if we see from the inside. Uh, but we'll start from the outside, that attacks that Satan used to, to lead uh, non-Aventists and keep them away from this prophet of God. And uh, this is a tactic um, that I, I call uh, the bad light, hide light tactic. Uh, bad light, hide light tactic. Basically, this tactic is about keeping people away from the message that God gives to his prophet. And the way he's doing that, he's doing that in several ways, but he's doing that by scaring, twisting you know, the message and lying. In that way, Satan is doing everything he can, you know, to keep people away from the message. You know what Satan often does? When he can't overthrow the logic of the argument, he tries to keep people away from the message. You know, if he can't argue against it, uh, he tries to keep them away from the message. If he can't make the message look bad, what he will try to do is to make the messenger look bad. So people will not want to listen to that person. And that is, uh, you know, because he knows if they honestly will examine a, the message of a prophet of God, they will be converted. If they honestly come and listen to the message of a prophet of God, they will be converted. So he will try to do everything he can to keep people away from it. That is, I think, his most, yeah, so, and he's doing that by, by taking the prophet or the message in a bad light and the messenger in a bad light 
uh, or keeping people away from it, trying to hide, you know, so people will not hear uh, uh, the message. And we will look at one example in the Bible when Satan is using this very tactic. Uh, and that is found in Acts, book of Acts, chapter 24. Acts, chapter 24. Um, and we'll begin in the beginning of the chapter here. Um, yes. Acts 24, we'll begin in verse 1. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. This gave evidence uh, to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you, we enjoy great peace and prosperity. He's talking to the governor. Yeah. Uh, is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We'll not read everything. We can jump down to verse 5. For we have found this man. He's talking about Paul. He's accusing Paul. Uh, you know, they want to, to, to hinder the work Paul is doing, basically. They want to accuse him and stop his work. So they come before the governor and they are accusing Paul. And they are saying this. Listen to this. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazareans. So here, they try to hinder the work of Paul. They don't like what Paul is doing. So they come and they start to accuse him. Uh, you know, they really talk badly about Paul and they call him you know, a ringleader, a sect leader, a cult leader, basically. Uh, and of course, you know, if they can, if people believe that, man, this is a cult leader, that will scare people away from, oh, I shouldn't listen to to that person. And, and so this is how they did uh, in the time of Paul, in the time of the early church. And I believe Satan often used this very tactic. He puts the messenger in a bad light to scare people from listening. Uh, because, you know, people are afraid of cults and sects and, 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 and these kind of things. And actually, when I read this passage... <laughs> one, one thing that can, I'm reminded of um, one experience that Daniel Pell had, actually, some years ago, in 2007, in Sweden, actually. Was, he was having a, a talk with him now uh, remind, to remind me about how it was. Uh, he had some uh, evangelistic meetings in, in Sweden. And during this effort, when he had these meetings, someone from like the, the, the local radio... They had come there and they recorded, you know, I think they recorded the meetings and they, they did some programs about these evangelistic meetings going on in this place. And they were airing this program. And it was like really bad, you know, critique. They, have, they, have, they were cutting, you know, just small pieces from what he said and put it in, you know, in such a way that he sounded like a really religious fanatic, you know. And that's quite easy to do with anyone. If you just take pieces from here and there, you can make anyone sound crazy, you know, and, and bad, right? It's quite easy to do. But basically, they did that, and they said many really negative things about Adventists, you know, and uh, that was not true. Uh, and, uh, but, but the thing is, is, for sure, this would, for, for Adventists, many of these things would be easy to know, okay, what they say here in this program about Adventists is not true, because we know how it is. Uh, but... So even though it's not true, you know, it's maybe bad uh, arguments they're using, or it's not like, uh, it's still scaring people away. 
is still working and hindering people you know, from, from, from approaching Adventists or from coming to these meetings. And actually, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in, in Sweden, they decided to put you know, this into court, this, this case, because you know, they were doing this like really basically lying in media about what the Adventist Church is about and how it is. I don't remember, I don't rem- I don't remember if I heard how it went, but uh, I think their case should have been quite strong because, because it was like really, yeah, things that was not true. Anyway, I think Satan, he's often using this tactic, bad lights, hide light tactic. He's trying to hide people or keep people away from the message. Or, and, one, and often it does start by scaring and putting the messenger in a bad light. And uh, um, often I think it's quite, for people outside, it's, he don't really need so good arguments. Like, if you just, often I think when you see, like, for instance, argument, um, critique against the Bible on the net, or when you hear critique against the Bible, a lot of it it's quite easy to answer, like to take things out of context, and uh, it's quite easy to make something sound weird, and, man, this can't be the word of God. It's really easy to do that, and that's much of the critique you find against the Bible is like that. If you don't know, you know, it sounds quite good. Like, okay, yeah, why should I? Mine, you know, you're stupid if you believe in that. I don't want to give this a try, you know. And, and it's effective even though it's really bad arguments sometimes. And I think the same tactic very often, or, or like in a large degree, is what Satan uses also with the writings of Ellen White. He takes bits and, you know, maybe something from there and something from there, put it together, and, you know, and it sounds really weird if this is everything you get, and if you don't know better, and sometimes it sounds like a contradiction or this and that. Like, if you don't know, you know, it sounds like, okay, man, this is... This is stupid. This can't be a prophet of God, you know. Uh, if you don't know, it's, it's a good argument. But I think, I think it's a little bit harder for us sometimes to, to, to see and to answer the arguments or the critique with Ellen White. And that's because I believe we don't, we don't know well enough what she has written. We don't know her message well enough. And we haven't, if we haven't written so much and know so much of you know, how she worked and her inspiration and things like this, it's not, we can't answer as much maybe as the Bible. And therefore, sometimes, hmm, yes, that's a good argument. And sometimes maybe we start to believe in some of the critique, even though there are good answers to them. Anyway, so I think this is one of the main ways Satan is using for people outside of the church primarily um, uh, to, to keep them away uh, from the message. Now, let's go over a little bit more to critique that is from within inside the church, and uh, this is for sure the most relevant and important for us to, I guess, be aware of. Um, Ellen White writes that, generally, she, she says that we have far more, this is from First Selected Messages 122, we have far more to fear from within than from without. The hindrances to strength and success are far greater from the church itself than from the world. You know, how, if the church will prosper or not, if it will go forward from strength to strength, it's not the, we shouldn't fear the world, really. God is powerful enough for, for taking care of that. What are the biggest danger is things that come from within the church. Uh, so, so, yeah, this is, this is the most dangerous critique and, you know, when it comes also to Ellen White. Uh, she also says that in uh, Testimonies 2, 607, it is Satan's special object 
to prevent this light from coming to the people of God, talking about the light he has given through her. He set a special object to prevent this light from coming to the people of God, who, is, who so greatly need it, she writes, amid the perils of these last days. You know, some people, uh, I was talked a little bit about yesterday, some, you kind of, it's not uh, uncommon you hear Adventists say, even Adventist pastors say, you know, we don't really need, you know, it's enough with the Bible, we don't really need her writings. But she, again and again, we see, and as we talked about yesterday, we see really that it is very important. It is a reason why God has raised up a prophet. She says here, we, the people of God greatly need this amidst the perils of these last days. That's the story of Uriah Smith, right? In the end of the journey with this voyage, with this ship, right? Uh, the instruction book said you would need a special help to come in the difficult part, to come safely to the, to the harbor. In the same way, I think we see in the Bible prophesied that we needed the gift of prophecy in the end. Anyway, um, listen to this quote, very important quote. This is kind of what we will, that is uh, the basis of, of the rest we will look at, uh, basically. And I might write, first selected message, page 48, the very last deception of Satan will be to make of non-effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. Quoting <laughs> Proverbs 28, 29, 18, uh, where there is no vision, the people perish. Satan will work ingeniously in different ways and different agencies to unsettle the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimony. So, so very interesting. She says, she says, the very last deception of Satan, I think that is to say, to be more specific, you could say, uh, within the church, within the seven-day Adventist church, Satan's very last deception within the seven-day Adventist church, in the time of the end, will be an attack, basically, against the writings of Ellen White. She's talking about uh, the testimony, the light God has given her. And uh, I believe that we are seeing this attack today in our church. And that is actually a sign that we are living in the very end. This is the very last deception of Satan within the church. Um, and we'll not notice two things I think that is very important. It says here, the last deception will be to unsettle the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimony. So unsettle the confidence and to make of non-effect. It doesn't say it will be to make people not believe in Ellen White at all. But it, it will be to unsettle the confidence in the message God has given through this prophet. And it will, it will be to make it of non-effect, the message. You know, Satan don't mind. You know, if, if, we, if people, you know, generally, if people have a Bible in, on their shelf, you know, Satan is not afraid of that. He's afraid of this message becoming a part of our lives, you know, and working in our lives. He's not afraid of people having any white books on their shelves, you know, as long as this, and even reading it, as long as the message is not applied, it doesn't mean anything. But, so he's, what he's trying to do, his last deception will be to make it of non-effect. And actually, um, um, okay, to, to make it a little bit simpler, I simplified this uh, to get the essence of this quote, what it says, to, to shorten it down and rephrase it a little bit, the key point of it in one sentence, I think is the, you can say it like it's the last deception of Satan will be to make the writings of Ellen White 
of non-effects. The last exception I'm setting will be to make the writings of Ellen White of non-effect. Now, I want you, I want you to really get this, this uh, point and, and really remember this. I believe that this, yeah, seriously, this truth can save you know, your eternal life. This can save eternal lives by being aware of this deception Satan will come mm. with. So this is, I think, very important to be aware of um, in the day we are living in. Uh, so I want you to say this with me. You, know, you, more, you use more parts of your brain as you speak out, and it's easy to remember things. Okay, so, so say this with me. The last deception of Satan will be to make the writings of LNG white of non-effect. Okay, one more time. The last deception of Satan will be to make the writings of LNG white of non-effect. Okay, good. We'll see if you remember it in the, in the end of the class. Actually, we, Satan, I think he was able to use a similar uh, uh, thing in the time of Jesus uh, for, you know, concerning the scriptures. Uh, come with me to the book of Mark. Come into the book of Mark, Mark chapter 7. And we'll read here verse 9 through 13. Mark 7, um, we'll read verse 9 through 13. Um, yeah. Here it says, He said to them, Jesus is speaking, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God, listen to this, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Basically, the time, you know, this is talking to the little official, to, 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 the, to the, yeah, in the time of Jesus. And, and basically, they had, you know, they believed in the commandments, right? But they said, kind of, the, the command of honoring father and your mother, you don't really need to keep it. If you give this gift to the temple, you are kind of free from that. That is kind of, then you have fulfilled the commandment in a way. So they believe in the commandment, but they don't believe what says in this commandment actually applies to them. And in that way, even though they believe in the commandments and the law of God, it is made of non-effect. It's not that they say that they don't believe in the law at all, but it's made of non-effect. That is how it will be with the writings of Ellen White within our church. And that is how it is, I believe, for many people, sadly, today. It's not that we generally, you know, some people maybe say that, but generally, it is not like people don't believe in Ellen White, but the problem is, it's not applied, we don't apply it as we should. It's, it's in, that, in different ways, made of non-effect. Where's the difference? I mean, if we believe her, then, then it's... It means nothing. Effect, then it's just natural to apply it. If you don't apply it, that automatically means that I don't believe her because... No. Yeah. Um, 
we will come to that. When we talk about some ways, I think, we will look at some ways, I think, it, it, it has been made of non-effect. That helps us to see, yeah, how... It doesn't make sense in a way, I think. But, but when we look at it, you will understand, I think, yeah, how, how, yeah, how it is possible, how, how it is. And uh, I think it's different ways. This, this uh, you know, the writings of anyone today is made of non-effect. One, one way that happens is, you know, people say they read something of her counsels, uh, something she has written uh, on a certain topic, and then they say, yeah, you know, I know she writes that, but, you know, this was written in another time, you know. This is not applicable today. Yes? Uh, because I'm a health director in Finland, and I hear this all the time when it comes to health principles, that uh, when uh, she was writing this and this way, it was because uh, uh, there were many more bacteria, for example, when it comes to cheese. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so it's not applying anymore because of, of that reason. There's a more hygiene now, today, and, and so on. But uh, it, it, it is not so, because the current science is saying so many things, uh, and approving, actually, uh, about saying so, of course, in other matters also, but uh, just... Mm, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's a good example. So, I will ask to repeat what you say for the recording as well. Uh, he's saying that, uh, like people say, you know, for instance, when it comes to health, uh, that, for instance, you know, with cheese, what she says about that, that doesn't apply today because it was different in that time. It was many more bacteria and things like this. But actually, science, you know, things is proving more and more that actually what she says also applies today in that sense. And I think you know, in different areas, people say this. And um, of course, you know, it is important to, to have in mind, she wrote this in another time. You know, it, was, it was another time. You know. it, this is very important, of course, to have in mind when you read the Bible. This was written in another time. And therefore, some things, you know, we need to see the principle of it. And it, the application will be different today. So of course, it's important to have in mind. In some cases, you know, in a way, you can say this doesn't apply today. In some cases, maybe, okay, you could say that. But what happens sometimes, and what Satan is able to do, is he, 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 he leads us to, or lead people to sometimes say this, kind of make this an excuse for not taking to heart what God is actually communicating through this message. And, and, you, know, some, and you know, sometimes we say, you know, this is another time and we don't see the principle and we miss the principle, we miss the point. We, we don't explain why actually she said this. What is the point with this, with this message in, in, this, in this case? And therefore, yeah, we don't take it to heart. And it's, the counsel is made of non-effect, even though we say, okay, yeah, I believe in the wise. But this part, you know, it's another time. That's one way I think it is made of non-effect. Um, another thing uh, that people... People might say, maybe some of you, I can hear if some of you have heard something like this. Uh, they say, for instance, of, of, you know, they say, talk about, they say, talk about some, they think part of what you have written, maybe some of the books are inspired, for instance. But some say, I heard actually a pastor one time, he told me, I was a little bit surprised, I didn't know so much about it at that time. But he said, like, you know, the Sirevedius, that, that book is not really, you know, inspired. You know, the testimonies, they're inspired, but the Sirevedius, don't you know, that uh, you know, she's just quoting all these sor different sources in this book, right? And I didn't know so much about it, so I was like, okay, huh, yeah. And also, like, great controversy, you know, is all this just historical, you know, quoting all of this. It doesn't say anywhere, right, the Lord showed me, 
uh, this and that. She's just writing, so that's not really, you know, not really inspired. The testimony, studies inspired. There she writes all, and again and again, God showed me this and God showed me that. Have you heard people say something like this? Yeah? Okay, you're nodding, yeah? Uh, people are saying something like this. Even leaders in our church are saying things like this. And, uh, and you know, they say, uh, for sure, you know, she, yeah, she is quoting. Uh, she is quoting from, from in the Sarvedas and in Great Controversy. She is not trying to hide that fact at all. She is speaking openly about this and the purpose of this. Basically, uh, or one reason why she is quoting, actually, is, you know, inspiration works like God is not inspiring by verbal inspiration. He is not telling word by word what the prophet should write down. Sometimes, you know, she hears a specific message, maybe very clear what God said, what Daniel said. You know, there are cases where that is, in a way, the case, you can say. But most of the times, God shows things, he explains things, he, he enlightens and shows vision and dreams. And based on that, guided by the Holy Spirit, the message is written down with the person's own words. And we see that in the Bible, you know, you see it's different style. You, I can recognize, you know, you can recognize when Paul writes something, right? It's different than when Mark writes something. But yes? At the same time, it's impossible to write something wrong because even our normal thoughts, I mean, God is maintaining us. Yeah. He's uh, kind of directing our thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Even if she's quoting, um, it's just to undermine, just to support. And actually, it's very useful uh, to do it this way because people that don't believe that she's a prophet, they still see well. Even mm. with mm. non-inspired, I mean, even with these quotes from people that lived at that time, it makes sense. And we can see this great controversy going on. Mm. Yes. Uh, when it comes to health principles, people have been claiming that uh, she was uh, taking those principles maybe from some other authors. Uh -huh. And now when they have been studying actually uh, those other authors uh, during her time, they have seen that Ellen White is higher above those uh, other people uh, when it comes to uh, claiming those uh, health principles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she has never been able to... Uh, Yeah, yeah. So, so that's a good illustration too. I think it's like you ever heard. You know, that's one of the critiques you find on the net, for instance. People say, you know, yeah, we can use one of the arguments. Right? I used one of the reasons I believe in Ellen White is that she, t her scientific foreknowledge, basically, she she said things far ahead of science. And some some claim now say, no, she didn't really do that. Yeah, because she actually just took from other scientists in the same time. But like he says, you know, we see clearly that she is much better off than the, all the other scientists in the time. And like if she would have taken maybe some of it, you know, some people, people there are so many theories out there. So you can, sure you could find maybe much of it, maybe different places uh, or some, some of it different places from different sources uh, mixed with a lot of things that maybe not was so good counsels. But if she would just pick that for sure, like it would not happen by chance. She would need to be inspired by taking 
only the good things that are, that are good counsel. She couldn't do that without inspiration. And that's, I think, how it is. Like you say, I think one of the reasons she, she, she does this, she says basically, she, she shows sometimes, you know, to, to, to refer to what other writers have written. They have, especially when, when it came to the cyber areas, she felt like she felt incapable uh, of, of describing Jesus, you know, and his ministry in a nice way, like our living savior. She felt she couldn't do that. And she, she found sources where good writers, and they have, in a good way, written down how it was and what he did. And when she saw that that was in agreement with what God had showed her, she chose those parts. And she writes clearly that God guided her in the process, you know. It was not like she has found, oh, hey, I take this. And, uh, you know, for sure, like Jan also were into, like, it is true. Yeah, what she writes is true, even though God doesn't write word by word. And, you know, maybe someone else would have written differently. And God, maybe if he would speak, you know, he would tell it a little bit differently. It is still true. You know, the word of God is true. The, the sum of the word is true. Um, so, you know, when it comes to ra- quoting other sources, the Bible writers also uses that. It's not like Ellen White is doing something that the Bible... She's, she's, you see, much of the critique like, comes against Ellen White. You see the, same, the Bible writers are doing the same thing. So if, if cre- Christians that don't believe in Ellen White uses those arguments, in a way they are it's really bad arguments because then they shouldn't believe in the Bible at all. Um, you see how they are quoting other sources, you know, historians and these kind of things. So, so that is not... Uh, for sure... Uh, other people can say things that is true, and God can lead someone to use that uh, and put it together in a message that is 100% true, and where the sources, where it comes from, it's only maybe part of it is true, right? Anyway, another thing uh, maybe I've heard that people say um, that is uh, that, for instance, you know, Steps to Christ, it was written by you know, her assistant, Fanny Bolton. She wrote Steps to Christ. You can't really, you know, trust so much Steps to Christ. It was written by one of her assistants. Have you heard people say something like this? Yes. Yeah. Uh, people say things like this. And yeah, for sure, I've heard people say like that. And I didn't know so much about it before either. So I'm like, oh, really? You know, I didn't know so much that she used. But for sure, she used helpers. Actually, she never learned to write on this what, typewriter I had in her days. She wrote everything by hand, and she had people help her write it in, and, and things like this. And, uh, and basically, uh, they were looking over it. Some people were helping her looking over it, you know, taking away unnecessary repetition and things like this. You know, because, and, and the reason it's good to have these kind of things is she wasn't inspired word by word again. So, so therefore, you know, she had helpers helping her. Uh, but she's, for sure, those did not write the messages. She's very clear on that. She, she got rumors about that already in her time. People said, no, this is written by that, and we can't really trust that. And uh, Arthur Wright wrote this. And, like, you had this kind of critique in her day, but she clearly went against it. Yes? I mean, she received the written book when it was printed afterwards. So yeah, could read through it for sure. Okay, this is how I wrote it. Good point. She, she read through She read through everything, you know, before, and she approved it before it went to print. It was not like she said she gave it the freedom to do everything, you know, what he wanted. And actually, at one time, it's very interesting, uh, God showed her how uh, 
uh, Fanny Bolton tried to change. She actually, so it's not completely a lie, you know, this, it comes from something, why people say Fanny Bolton wrote Steps to Christ, you know. God showed her at a time, uh, at a point that Fanny Bolton tried to change what she wrote, actually. So she got to hear about how, uh, how she, she was trying to change it. And actually, as a result of that, Ellen White showed her out. She didn't want to use her anymore. She said she, not, she could not work with her anymore. And, and she said, you know, actually, and it's, it's very interesting. Fanny Walton didn't actually change the meaning. She didn't change the meaning of what was written. But she just tried to write it nicer, and, you know, some nicer words, some nicer descriptions. But Ellen White said, no, you can't do that. Because uh, by doing that, actually, she said, you know, you, you will make the writings of non-effect. Because the thing is this, I, I think, you, then she could, Fanny Bolton could say, when you know, we meet someone, actually, you see this part here in Steps to Christ? I wrote this. And people could start with that, okay, mm, yeah, maybe uh, Fanny Bolton wrote this, maybe this is not true after all, and what about this, maybe, maybe someone else wrote this? Like, if, if people would know that it was changed, and, and like, it was not her own words, she wanted it to be still her own words. They helped her, you know, looking over it, typing it in, you know, and taking away some unnecessary uh, things and, and maybe correct it if it was spelled wrongly or whatever. It was this kind of help she got from literary assistants, but they were not, like, she, she was reading it through, they could not change, the, it, it was even going to be her own words, not really making it look nicer and stuff. People were to see that this is, you know, Ellen White writing. So... That is, that is a lie, you know, people say these kind of things, but no, Ellen Wright wrote her own books. This has been a critique that has been around all the time, since her time, she went strongly against it. She could affirm God led her in the process. God would not allow that to happen, I think. And that's why he showed her, you know, someone is trying to mess up here. And God understood that that would be a danger, that would lead to making uh, the message of non-effect. Um, and you know, actually, literary assistance, this is not something new either for Ellen White, right? Jeremiah had Baruch um, that helped him to write. And actually, I think, I don't remember the verse, but I, I think it says, right, doesn't it say somewhere, that I think they used the same accusation against him in that time. They said, no, this is just Baruch writing. You know, we can't trust this message. They, they, I think, they, if I remember correctly, they said a sim similar thing that people say, have said about Ellen White in our day. Um, some of you remember? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember where it where it says. I didn't get time to put it in, but yeah, that is something that happened already in the time of the Bible. Um, another thing, people. Uh, I've heard people say, um, "I'm to say today that is another way to make it of non-effect." Uh, that is, you know. This is just, um, you know, sure, you know, her books are inspired, you know, I believe her books are inspired, but, but not really the letters and uh, the articles, you know, that, that, is, that is something different. The, the, the books are inspired. What's the reason? Good question. I don't know why they say that. I haven't really heard any good reason for it, actually. Uh, yeah, I've just heard a claim without any reason for it, actually. So I don't think they have good reasons, at least. Anyway, but anyway, I don't need... She is very clear on that this is not the case. Uh, so, so therefore, I don't really need to hear if they have good reasons for it, because I know that is not how it 
is. Uh, I'm, I'm reading here from first selected messages. I don't have it on the screen. Uh, page 29. Listen to this. Very good quote. The statement which you quote from testimony number 31 is correct. In these letters which I write, in the testimonies I bear, I am presenting to you that which the Lord has presented to me. I do not write one article in the paper expressing merely my own ideas. They are what God has opened before me in vision. So she's very clear. You know, I don't write one article you know, just with my own ideas, with my own you know, opinion. It is what God has showed me in vision. The precious rays of light shining from the throne. It is true concerning the articles in our papers and in the many volumes of my books. I have been instructed in accordance with the word in the presence of the law of God. I have been instructed in selecting from lessons of Christ. Are not the positions taken in my writings in harmony with the teachings of Jesus Christ? So she's very clear. My books are inspired. You know, it's not like, you know, some of the books are inspired, but the rest are not inspired. She's very clear. My articles are inspired. My, and actually, uh, my, she says also, my letters are inspired. You know, but one thing that is good to, to mention here is um, there are some things, uh, but that will never, I think, really be a problem if we want to, to know the truth. There are some things she writes that is not inspired. Uh, it's just good to be aware of. Uh, the thing is this, she talks about, I want to read an uh, interesting thing. There was one guy, he, he, it, it, you, you can read about this in First Selected Messages, page 38. On her time, one guy, he came to the conclusion that he was denying you know, the testimonies that she was inspired by God completely because of one thing he found out. And he found out one thing that was not right, that was not true. And then he concluded, okay, she can't be, be inspired by God. What if, and the reason is uh, a statement that she made uh, regard to the number of rooms in Paradise Valley Sanatorium. Uh, he says, this guy says, you know, uh, in a letter written to one of her brethren in Southern California, the statement was made by me that the sanatorium contained 40 rooms when, when we're really only 38. So because she wrote, okay, it was 40 rooms in this sanatorium, and it was only 38 rooms, he concluded, okay, she's not inspired. She can't be from God. Yes, yeah. You find such math mathematical uh, mistakes also in the Bible at several places. Mm. Uh, and, um, yeah. That's true. It can be, I mean, we know that it's written by, by people. By humans, yeah. That's true. You see, you see some small mistakes you can say, yeah, that's good to bring up there, in the Bible as well. Like, for instance, we see Matthew, he's quoting, uh, what is it, Zechariah, and he says he's quoting Isaiah. Like, small mistakes, like, like at one time Ellen White, she writes, she, she mixes up the tree of life with the tree of knowledge and good of evil. And, like, you understand from the context what she's talking about. Like, and... and but she's very clear, there is no mistakes in, in the Bible or anything like that that would confuse any soul from eternal life. You know, God has used human beings. It's not perfect in that sense, everything. It's not perfectly written, everything. But everything, you know, like the sum of the word is truth. The, the, he, he would not allow, and she writes that, she, he would not allow the big mistakes to come in. Mistakes of importance that would lead people away, you know. Uh, and he would not make one honest soul to stumble, she says. She's really clear on that. So, uh, but, is, but the thing is this, so because of this, you know, he said, uh, she's not a prophet. Uh, but she says, 
you know, this, I wrote this not because of a revelation of the law, that, you know, just that number, but simply as a human opinion. Uh, there has never been revealed to me the exact number of rooms in any of our sanatoriums. You know, so basically, just her own experience, she has been there, she said, yeah, it's 40 rooms there. Uh, but anyway, um, she says that in my words, when speaking upon these common subjects, there is nothing to lead minds to believe that I received my knowledge in a vision from the Lord, and I'm stating it as such. She says, basically, she says this, continue to read from First Selected Messages, page 39. It says, but there are times when common things must be stated. Common thoughts must occupy the mind. Common letters must be written and information given that has passed from one to another of the workers. Such words, such information are not given under the special inspiration of the Spirit of God. Questions are asked at times that are not upon religious subjects at all, you know, and these questions must be answered. When conversed about houses and land, trends and this and that, you know, she, she gives answers. So basically she says, when she talks about common things, that is not, you know, just worldly things, just, you know, this kind of temporal things, that is not inspired. But she says, every time it is on religious topics, it was only, is always inspired. So you can say, the line of what is inspired and not inspired is not between books and letters or articles, it's not like that. The line is between what she calls the sacred and the common things. Sacred things, religious things, all of that, she says, is inspired. Also letters. But of course, when we read letters, it's important to have in mind, you know, it was written to a specific person in a specific situation. And that may not apply in the same way to us. But sometimes it can, we can find ourselves in a very similar situation. And it can be a very powerful message to what we need to do. A powerful counsel uh, from the Spirit of God. Um, so... Yeah, uh, yeah, Jan. Uh, it's the same with miracles that is God, uh, that that God is um, conducting. And sometimes in in a poor region, for example, where there's really no food, then then he might let appear some food, because they have really no other possibility. Or there was some mission story about uh, a propeller of a either a boat or a, or a plane that went that, that fell into a river and they really had no possibility to find it. Uh, so God, on the next morning this propeller uh, lay on the, on the side of the river. So it was, yeah, and it was not stolen or something. So this was a miracle, but, but here where we could send a diver into the water or where, where we could solve it, in another way, where it's not really necessary for God to perform a miracle, uh, then he doesn't do it. And it's the same with, um, with his inspirations. It's not necessary f uh, yeah, to inspire Ellen G. White how many rooms there are in the sanitarium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if it's not necessary... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's it's not, not important, you know. He's not throwing his inspirations, his blessings away. Yeah, he's yeah. choosing carefully whether uh -huh. you should uh, apply them or not. Uh -huh. Okay, um, thank you for that comment. Uh, I think we'll take a break. You have a little bit longer session, so it's, it's not so nice to be all the time. We'll take about a uh, yeah, seven minutes break. Something like that. that's a nice number. No. Anyway, you can get some air, drink something, go to the toilet, and then we will look at some more ways and, and conclude this up. Okay, then we'll... Uh
start up again. Um, yeah, let's let's have a short prayer before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you may lead us the last time we have together here, uh, that we can, yeah, get as much as possible out of this this time. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, we'll look at a couple of more ways I believe the writings of Ellen White has been made of non-effect. Um, one of them, it's a little bit, we have kind of touched into the, this one already, but some people say, you know, this, you know, what she writes here in this letter, for instance, or in that, you know, this part, this is, you know, just her own opinion. They say that, you know, some part of what she writes, some of these concepts, this council, that is just her own opinion. And this was actually, people said that in her time, and she went against that. Uh, she says, it's really interesting, actually, she, she, she's really clear on, if you just read what she writes about her own inspiration, I will encourage you to read First Selected Messages, it talks a lot about her own inspiration there. Like, almost all this deception falls away really easy. We understand that you, you can't believe in Ellen White and believe that. A lot, basically, everything is very easy falls away by reading that. But anyway, she says uh, very clearly that, uh, you know, she did not write her own opinion. When she wrote, she only wrote what God showed her. Uh, she, she, if she, actually, there were times when people asked her for counsel about a specific, you know, about the future of the work at a place, and she said that she had not received any instruction concerning that, therefore she did not want to write. When she didn't feel, God has not given me light on this, she did not want to give counsel on religious topics, because she only did that when she had gotten inspiration, so we can know. I think maybe probably one reason that that is the case, then we can always know when she talks about religious things, when she writes about religious things, she did it when she was inspired. She, that is inspired. Uh, if not, she did not want to, to comment. Um, and uh, yeah, so and she did not. It's not her own opinion. People say that. Some people say that, but that's not true. And another thing people say, maybe you've heard that. That is, you know, this was written in another culture. You know what she writes about the Catholic. You need to remember all the, you know all these negative things about the Catholic, right? You know, great controversy all of this. This was in an anti-Catholic culture. You know, this it's it's. It's just influenced by that. That's why she writes that. You shouldn't really listen to that. You know, the mark of the beast, that is not really sound at all. It was influenced by the culture. Anyone of you heard people say things like this? It's actually a union leader, I will not tell which country, it doesn't matter, in, in, in Europe that says this. Uh, or, or, yeah, that sta- believes this, you know. I've heard people say things like this. And for sure, you know, uh, but... We understand clearly from what she says about inspiration that is not the case. You know, she when she shares a message, is inspired by God. Uh, she, she writes what God has showed her, and God is not influenced by culture. So if the message is from God, you know, it's not wrong because it was a culture that was anti-Catholic, for instance, or whatever it is. Yes. Uh, I heard a story. Of one union leader saying that maybe uh, Jesus comes maybe after one thousand years, and so he was not believing that in this generation. Oh yeah, put it far in the future. Yeah, she is very clear that we are living in the last days. You know, and it could have been shorter. You know, the God's plan was it was was shorter, but still, in the long run, we see if we see the prophecies of the Bible too, it's you know we can't say if it's you know five years or ten years or exactly, but you know we clearly see she's very clear and the prophecies are clear. We are in the very end. Yeah, it depends on us. That's true. So, 
Yeah, one other thing uh, I want to spend a little bit of time on is that some people say, and I, you know, I know also pastors and you know, union leaders that say things like this. Um, you know, Ellen White changed after 1888. I think that is the year people say. I think maybe someone says another year. But anyway, at least Ellen White changed. We, we can, you know, we shouldn't. What she wrote in the beginning of her ministry, we shouldn't really. You know, the implication by saying that, I think, as I understand it, was at least what it sounded like to me, the point of saying that, if not, it wouldn't be a point of saying, bringing this up and really make a strong point out of it, is that basically what she says in the beginning is not really, it's not really true, you know. Uh, she was growing, you need to let people be able to grow, you know, all humans are growing, we're on a journey, uh, you know, it's what she wrote in the end, that is what we should listen to. People say these kind of things, but listen to this, this is... Also, clearly, you know, she, people said things like that on, in her time as well. You know, th the thoughts were there already then, but, and she went strongly against, against that as well. Um, I have had the question from First Selected Messages, page 48. I have had the question asked, what do you think of this light which these men, A.T. Jones and E.G. Wagoner, are presenting? Talking about 1888, you know, righteousness by faith. What do you think about this light, people ask? You know, this new message coming into the church. You know, what do you think about this? Uh, but she says, why? I have, you know, why are you asking this? You know, why? I have been presenting it to you for the last 45 years. The matchless charms of Christ, this is what I have been trying to present before your minds. You know, the, the, what people say, you know, in the end of her life, she became, after 18 you know, she changed. She became more Christ-centered, you know, and, and more uh, focused on, on grace and, and this and less on the law, you know, less legalistic. But, but she clearly says, you know, this is the message, righteousness by faith, you know, focusing on Christ and lifting, you know, I've preached this all the time. Uh, so she clearly went against that. And listen to this, first selected message 35. I understood that some were anxious to know if Mrs. White still held the same views that she did years ago. So people have their sounds, time, thoughts on her time, you know. Have she changed? Maybe she has different opinions now, you know shouldn't maybe listen to the beginning of what she said. I assure them that the message she bears today is the same that she has borne during the 60 years of her public ministry. Do you see that? It's the same message. She, she assured them. Where is that from? First selected message, page 35. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she, says, she continues. She has the same service, talking about herself, uh, to do for the master that was laid upon her in her girlhood. The same service, she receives lessons from the same instructor, and of course if you do, you, the message will not change. From the same instructor, the directions given her are make known to others what I have revealed to you. That is basically what a prophet does, you know, a spokesperson for God, making known what God has revealed to you through ways that regular human beings don't receive, you know, uh, information through visions and dreams. Make known to others what I have revealed to you. Write out these messages. Write out the messages that I give you that the people may have them. This is what she has endeavored to do. I have written many books and they have been given a wide circulation. Of myself, I could not have brought out the truth in these books. But the Lord has given me the help of His Holy Spirit. These books giving the instruction that the Lord has given me during the past 60 years contain light from heaven and will bear the test of investigation. You know, there is a lot of critique, but I, what she writes here is true. Her writings, the message, it bears the test, and it will to the very end. 
period test of investigation. Uh, she did not change. She is very clear. Uh, she did not change. You know, um, one thing that came interesting to mention, um, one guy from Illinois State, I have it here, I don't have it on the screen. He was asked the question about this. Did she change after 1888? And he, he in his response, he wrote something that is quite interesting to know. He says that one will find statements just as forceful on the place of the law and obedience after 1888. So you will see, you know, some say, you know, no, before she was talking much more about law and obedience and legalistic, you know, then it was more mercy and, and grace and love, you know, and Jesus after 1888. But he says, you, know, you see, as strong statements on the law and obedience after 1888 as well. It's not like she stopped writing that and emphasizing the importance of the law. You, see, you find it afterwards too. And, and he continues, and statements that uplift the merits of Christ's righteousness as our only hope and assurance, just as strongly prior to 1888. So you, you find Jesus, you find you know, these kind of things before, and you find the law on that after. So very clear, you know, she did not change. And it continues, but, but it says most of what she wrote was after 1888, basically, actually. And she wrote, most of what she wrote about Christ, you know, the life of Christ, Cyrus, for instance, Christ's obliquescence, Mount of Blessing, she wrote after 1888. So it could be, you know, maybe she wrote even more about it afterwards. That is not a problem, but that does not mean that what she wrote before is not true, you know. And also, I think, you know, it could be that there is a certain degree of development also. You know, because it's not verbal inspiration, word by word. A prophet writes to the best of their ability, inspired by God, you know, describes what God shows them. Yes? God and if it's God knows everything else that is not inspired, if it's not wrong. Yeah, yeah. So he allows some things that is not perfect if it's not wrong. And you see that she describes it a bit. You see in the Bible, some people, because of their experience and how far you can say they come with the work of Christ, some truths they were able to communicate more clear than other writers, even though all of them are inspired and all of it are true. Some truths, some, some writers could communicate some truths of the gospel clearer. And, so, and that could, I think, be the case, maybe with Ellen White. Maybe she understood some things, you know, as she came closer to Christ during her life. Some things maybe she could communicate even better in the end of her life. But that does not mean that what she writes before is not true. That is another argument, one way that leads people to, yeah, basically make it of non-effect what she writes. And... And, and she says clearly, actually, it's an interesting quote here. Let me see if I find it. Um, yeah, it's from Third Selected Messages. I have it here, uh, page 52. Basically, she says as she had been looking over her letters and things that she had written for several years back. And, and she says when she did that, she could see not one heretical sentence. She didn't find anything that was not true. And that's how it is. God, same instructor, the same guy. No, no, no. Basically, her task is just to communicate what God has shown her. And God has not changed. He's not influenced by culture. Uh, he's not... Like, so, yeah, she strongly goes against that argument. Okay, so let's, um, let's um, summarize a little bit of what we have looked on so far before we then will we'll go into our last, last thing, last part. Um, See if you remember, what is Satan's last deception? What do you say? To attack the church. 
to attack the church, more specifically, what did you say? Yes, to make of non-effect the writings of Ellen White, okay? That's Satan's last deception. And some things, just a summary, if you have a few points here that may, may help us actually. We don't need to, if, if you just know how these things in mind and know these things, basically all these attacks that Satan comes in from within will just fall to the ground simply. And that is, all her books, articles, and you know, letters on religious counsel are inspired. If you know that, you know, she writes that clearly, that many of the attacks, you know, it will not work on you. Satan can't deceive you with that because you know that it's not true. So this you can write down. This would be a good thing to write down. If you have, yes, to summarize some key points that will save us from the delusions, the deceptions of Satan. She, we have read, we read earlier all her books, articles, and many of her letters, like all the letters on religious topics, are inspired by God. So if you have that in mind, you know, much of these deceptions we will not... We will not fall for that. Uh, another thing, yeah, she did not write her own opinions on religious matters. She is very clear on that. Uh, she did not change teachings in, later in, in her life. That's we had thought that's also a good thing to remember. She did not change. There is not one heretical sentence in her writing. So if you ask, you know, know these things, know what she says about inspiration, and, and basically all these attacks will at least most of them will fall simply to the ground and it will not work on us. Um, okay, we have about 10 minutes left. Um, yeah, okay, I, I want to I want to share one more way that uh, that I think Satan is using to make the, the word of God and that, that goes, this goes both for the Bible and for Ellen White, uh, to, mon, to, to, him, to make it of non-effect. And I think this is actually one of the greatest problems of the Laodicean church, what I will share now. Um, so it's not exactly a critique against Ellen White, but this is, this is one of his most effective ways to, to, yeah, to make the word of God of non-effect. One of the greatest problems of the Laodicean church. And... Uh, yeah, if you come with me, if you come with me to uh, Paul's letter to the Laodicean mm. church. Did you know that he had a letter to the Laodicean church? It is in the letter of Colossians. Come with me, it's very interesting. Colossians, it it's actually both to the Colossian church and the Laodicean church. And I think there is some very important truth that is also very yeah, relevant uh, for, for the Laodicean church and for us today. Um, Colossians, Paul's letter to Colossians. So after Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, we have Colossians. Colossians, and we'll go to, uh, to the end of Colossians. Let me see here if I remember the, the exact verse. Um, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. Uh, Colossians 4 verse 16, I think, where it is, fall away. There, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So he says, you know, you should also read this to Laodicea. It's a letter from Paul to the Laodicean church. He also said, it also says in verse 13 that he had much strife for the Laodicean church, you know. 
Uh, with other words, the thing is this. The problem with the Laodicean church, you know, they are blind, they are, they are naked, they are poor. They think everything is all right when it's not. And, and, and the reason for that, or one of the big problems for that, that is not, it's not that they lack instruction. The apostle, you know, John the Revelator instructed them, he wrote to them, you know. Paul, the great apostle Paul, he instructed them. It's not lack of knowledge, it's not lack of light or instruction, but the problem was they failed to apply, you know, and to, to embrace the word of God as they should. To take it to heart as they should. They heard it, but they did not apply it. They were, they were hearers of the word, but not doers of the word as they should. Come with me to James. You, you maybe know this verse, but it's, it's a very important verse. If you don't know it, you really need to, 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 to learn this and underline this in your Bible. James chapter 1, verse 22 this is, I believe, one of the biggest problems for, for Christians today. One of the greatest dangers. Um, James 1, verse 22. Here it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's, I think, one of the main problems with Laodicean Church and with Christians and Amethyst today. We, we have a lot of knowledge. We have the Bible, you know, ha- even Ellen White, you know, we can read all of these things. We have a lot of light, but too many times we hear messages. And on a conference like this, we can hear things, but we do not apply it as we should. And by doing that, we deceive ourselves to think everything is all right when it's not. And I think the way society works basically trains us to be Laodicean, basically trains us to do this. We live in a society with so much information, you know, all the time we are bombarded with information, we are trained to basically put things in without using it. We tra- in school, we learn things without using it, you know, we put things into the mind, we are trained to get knowledge without using it. But that is, like, how society works, and also, you know, watching even studies show that even watching, you know, um, television and, and watching the news leads to non-reaction. We are trained to see things we can't do anything with, and that trains us to, to, to it leads to non-reaction. It basically trains us to become hearers without doers. Yes? Uh, because the beta waves are disappearing. Yeah, uh, the beta waves are disappearing. Yeah, I have heard some of these things. I don't remember it so well. Yes. Uh, same as I'm not okay, so a doctor, if, but... Uh, if, if uh, the scene, uh, I mean, the, you, you can see what is the view and the view is changing rapidly. Uh, for example, less than three seconds all the time. It takes only one or one to three minutes, and your beta waves are disappearing, and you are like hypnotized. Mm. And that's why all the information is coming to you, and your alpha waves that are recording in your memory center all the things you can memorize everything what is coming there. But your reasoning abilities at the same time. Are yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, so I think how uh, yeah society is built up. It trains us basically to become Laodiceans. And uh, you know, yes, I can read a quote, and I try like this seven. Seven, uh, Bible Commentary 7, 964. It says, uh, talking about what we just read from Colossians, much excellent labor was bestowed upon the Laodicean church. 
They heard, but they failed to appropriate the truth to themselves and to carry out the instruction given them. That is one of the main problems. And isn't that, don't you, do you think, isn't that a problem today in the church, in Christianity? We have a lot of knowledge, but we don't live out the truth as we should. That is the problem. Like, just think about this fact. I don't know if you have done it ever, but several times when I, when I sit in church, sometimes I, I'm, I, when I listen to the songs, you know, I think, man, this, 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 we have a lot of good songs with powerful messages. And sometimes I think to myself, to myself man, if we, would, if we would live after what we sing here, if, if all the church would just follow what we sing here, man, that would be powerful. You know, it would be a completely different church. Like, we sing the things, we use the words, we read the words, we know it, but for some reason, we don't put it to practice. We are deceiving ourselves to think everything is all right, even though we are blind, poor, wretched, and naked. That is, I think, maybe probably, yeah, the most, one of the most, for sure, effective ways for Satan to make it of non-effect. He leads us to not... So it's so important. This is so important that we always ask ourselves the question, um, you know, when we read the Bible, when we hear a message, when we read Ellen White as well, you know, what does this mean for me? What, how should this affect my life? How should this change my life? And by the grace of God, that we put it in practice and plead for him to do something with it. Uh, so, you know... It says that the Laodicean church is blind. And why? I believe it's because, you know, how can we see on the other side, you know, the Bible is a lamp, the prophetic uh, writings, this inspiration of God is a lamp. It shows us, it helps us see. Uh, and, you know, prophets are called seers. You know, Ellen White is uh, also something that helps us to see as God sees. We are blind because we don't study these messages as we should and understand it as we should or take it to heart as we should, you know, uh, uh, but the thing is this even though we have much knowledge we may be blind in a way and even though we maybe follow more things than others we may be blind you heard a saying I just want to uh, conclude on this Daniel Pell has a very good sermon by the way I would, re- would recommend uh, called uh, The One-Eyed King there is this saying uh, that goes in the land of the blind the one-eyed is king and, you know, if we, if we look on, on, in our church, you know, sometimes people, we come to Impact Scandinavia, you know, we do some mission work. If we look, if we compare ourselves with most people, even though if we just take, have daily communion with God, you know, only 50% of Amethyst has that, you know, nowadays, a research showed. Uh, we, we may be better off than others, and we, if we compare ourselves with them, we may feel like everything is okay. Because in the land of the blind, the one-eyed is king. But you know, Jesus one time when he healed this man, he put his eyes on him, I don't remember all the details, but, but then you can read about it, we will not take time to look it up, but in Mark 8, 22, you read about <laughs> it there. Uh, he, 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 he healed this man, then he sees, and remember, it's, he sees people walking around like trees. Do you remember this story? He, 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 he kind of gets part of his vision back, but not completely. Could you imagine if this guy, if this guy would, you know, go away from there before Jesus did something more. Everything he saw, he just saw vaguely. That would be quite sad, right? Jesus needed to give him a second touch so he could see clearly. Jesus wants to do the same with us, you know. Many, I think many, many of us, many people today in our church, we are, we are maybe, we understand some things, we are maybe one-eyed kings, you know. We, we are not completely blind, but still, we are not where God wants us to be. And Christ, he wants to give us a second touch. He wants to, to, to open our eyes and show us things every day. 
to understand more and more of his love and his plans for us. So, I want to close with uh, this verse, with the words of Jehoshaphat. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. It's time to hear and heed the message of Christ through his prophets. I will strongly encourage you to read Ellen White. God has, it's a reason why God has raised up a new prophet. And as we have seen, it is important. It is important counsel God has given us there. We need to give it our attention. We need to find out. We need to use it. We need to... It will, we will be so blessed if we do, you know, like in all areas of our life, you know, in family life, you know, read Adventist home, in education, read educate, like, take the gift that God has given and by His grace apply what you learn there into your life. Yes, yeah. And I just heard some very, uh, yeah, some news from Germany. I don't know how old they are, but they are not too old. Um, some German guy told me that in East Germany, um, L.G. White was never really read, uh, read very much, and now one of the yeah, of the I don't know conferences, opinion, I don't know some some part of Com- yeah I think it's a conference conference. Um, they just uh, are starting to discuss the Sabbath, and some of them are trying starting to reject the Sabbath. So if they don't read L.G. White and do not study the Bible enough. It's, it's even going to the fundamental Adventist beliefs. Mm. Yeah, then just uh, thinking aloud, it's hard to Adventists to get rid of already to Sabbath. It's, we are not anymore Adventists. Yeah. But, but actually, actually, I want to. This reminds me of a quote that is interesting. I can see if I find it here. Um, it is Satan's special plan to weaken this from Testimony 4 to 11. He set a special plan to weaken the faith of God's people in the testimonies. Next follows skepticism in regard to the vital points of our faith, the pillars of our position, then doubt as to the Holy Scriptures, and then the downward march to perdition. When the testimonies which we were once believed are doubted and given up, Satan knows that deceived ones will not stop at this, and he redoubles his efforts till he launches them into open rebellion, which becomes incurable and ends in destruction. When you start to doubt that God inspired Ellen White, usually, or like we see again and again, it doesn't stop there. It will lead to, you know, rejecting Sabbath, for instance. Vital point, you know, step by step, Satan will be able to lead you away if you don't have this sure guide, this sure foundation that God has given us to stand strong in, 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 you know, against all being thrown to and fro in all winds of doctrines. It will, for many people, lead to, yeah, it will lead to perdition, to losing your eternal life. Private interpretation. If you take some parts, if you select some parts of LNG White's messages that you like, and you apply them, but some you don't like so much, mm-hmm. uh, you will do it the same with the Bible. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good point. Basically, the problem is usually why people not always accept is because they are not willing to accept 
you know, it's, it's, we don't want to accept the councils. And, and that's why I think Ellen White is easily, more easily you know, rejected because she's so clear and specific. We can read the Bible and think we, we, we follow the Bible, uh, but we don't follow the principles. But she makes the principles clearer to us what it means in our lives. And if you don't like that, you will try to throw away Ellen White and keep the Bible. But that's impossible because what she writes is just explaining what the principles of the Bible means in our lives. Yes. And uh, when it comes to health principles, uh, we start to understand, I mean, the science start to understand that uh, there are so many things that are affecting your frontal lobe, and the frontal lobe is uh, the seat of your uh, will and reasoning powers and understanding the spiritual matters. And for example, TV and drinking cup of coffee or alcohol and smoking and other things are affecting so much to this uh, frontal lobe that uh, many times people seem to be like hypnotized. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Able to understand the deep matters of the Bible and spirit of prophecy. Yeah. So when we are able to take those feet off, uh, the minds are able to focus on more of the truth of God. Yeah. You know, the thing is, when it comes to health, she, for instance, she is so good counseling, like, that will, it's also very important, you know. We see the first te temptation of Jesus, what was that? It was appetite, it was food. Uh, in the time of Noah, this was a big problem, and it will be like that in the time of the end. Food and appetite will lead many people away from God. And she, she writes, there are but few as yet who are aroused sufficiently to understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their health, their characters, um, their usefulness in this world, and their eternal destiny, she writes. Very, very important that we understand these things. Uh, and, you know, sometimes people don't like, you know, her counsels, and it feels like sometimes the Word of God also, when we understand it, you know, it sticks, it pricks us in our hearts. But the thing is, is every time God cuts, he's like a surgeon. Not like a butcher. He doesn't cut to kill. He cuts to heal. Sometimes it may be painful. When God asks us to do something, change some habits in our lives, it will be for our better. We can look back every time. I can do that in my life. You know, every time. It has been some hard decision. I haven't always understood when I stood there and God called me to take this decision. But every time I can look back, that was the right thing to do. And for instance, when it comes to health, you know, she talks about eating more healthfully. She says, actually, when you go into that healthy uh, diet you will lay afterwards you will appreciate that food more than the unhealthy food it's like God is changing your taste so and I, I think that is with you know with many things in our life God will and I, that's my own experience when it comes to for, inst for instance food I eat you know much more healthy than I did before I, I like food much more than I did before music for example yeah and music can be the same metal heavy metal I played in a band and now I it yeah yeah that's, that's cool. Yes, I just want to close with coming some recommendation and we have a prayer and then those who want can leave and if someone wants to stay and talk more, I'm, I would be happy to stay. Uh, I just want to get a few, give you a, a few tips of resources where you can learn more. Uh, one of them is Mark Howard's recordings from GYC can be found on Audioverse or also actually, I guess, on the GYC webpage. Uh, very good. He has some seminars. He had, I think, six seminars, so he had more time than I've had in this. So he takes up some more things, uh, how to apply and why. He looks also on some of the critique that is on the internet and answers some of that. Very good seminars uh, that can be found there, downloaded. Some of them 
one of the series, he also has handouts, actually, you can, you can yeah. download as well. Very good material. Uh, he was my, my teacher, actually, yeah. at Arise on, on the Spirit of Prophecy. Uh, another book, a classic book that he has learned much from, much from uh, as well. Uh, it's quite a thick book. It talks about a lot of things. It's Herbert Douglas, Measure of the Lord. And a new book, I just bought this one. I haven't read it yet, all of it, but it, it seems to be very good. Ellen White, Under Fire, talking about some of the critics and principles to help us meet you know, city critic. Uh, another Swedish book, if you read Swedish, that is very good, I have it here. It's a short book, easy to read, but it's, it's a very nice book. Adventurelsens budbärra av Onni Mattenen. Uh, and actually one more book, if you are interested in, there is one book I can just tell you about this one as well. I haven't read it either, but uh, uh, I think it's, I've heard good things about it. It's a book called Ellen, uh, Ellen G. White and Her Critics by Francis D. Nicol. Uh, basically, he goes and answers very many of the specific critique that is on the internet. Uh, the book Ellen White Under Fire looks more on the principles, the underlying principles that are of all of the critique, and he looks a little bit historically how it started and how we see the same things coming up basically to help you, because it, it will come probably new critique all the time, you know. So the, the most important in a way is to learn the principles. So I think it, it seems to be a very good book, but there is also some, this, this book, Ellen White and her critics, goes more on specific, you know, critique and answers that. Uh, uh, so that's good, good in different ways. So that's some good resources that I will encourage you to do. Also, this, uh, these seminars here that I've had, will, uh, they have been recorded and will be put up uh, online on our webpage as well, impactscandinavia.org. Uh, so you could read it or hear it there again, or if you didn't hear everything. And also, yeah, you can also send a link to someone if you think someone else should hear it as well. Yes? You guys should come to Finland and have a Ellen seminar. Yeah. There is so much criticism. And my sister, I heard that my sister got a message from her old friend and she had written that Ellen White books are more mm. Satan. You have to ask. But actually, in one way, I like that because either it's from God or from Satan. So at least if she says that, she, she's at least wholehearted. You know? She takes the, the logic to its conclusion. It doesn't, you can't take some of it. Like she says, you know, you can't say either all of it is from God or it's not. Either it bears the signet of God or the signet of Satan. She is very clear. Like, this statement I've seen, it's so clear. Like, yeah, so I, I, I prefer people, and that it's better if people come to that conclusion in one way than if they claim to believe in her, but actually all the arguments they have against make it of non-effect. Yes. And why does a false prophet, Satan has done a very bad job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, see how many people have been converted and are converted to this very day. Like the elder in my church, he was converted because of, you know, the great controversy. And uh, so many examples. Yeah, it bears so much good fruit. Come on. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a good argument to say, okay, this is probably not from Satan. Uh, if all these people start, and like studies show that those who read and invite read more Bible than other people. They are more active in witnessing. Come on, you know, it doesn't make sense to say that this is from Satan, but either it's from Satan or from God. So, yeah, one. Um, I heard, I think it was Dave Gates. He was telling a story. He was... I don't remember, actually, it was a doctor who met a Jesuit priest and he healed him because this Jesuit priest wanted to be healed with uh, biomedicine because he knew that we have a health message and so on. 
And this doctor said, I will heal you. But after that, we will have to study the Bible together and he agreed. And uh, yeah, he healed him. And then he, they started uh, studying the Bible. And then they talked about Ellen White. And this priest said, uh, come to this room and showed him a bookshelf with all her writings and said that uh, the Jesuit priest, uh, they read all her writings. And they actually believe that she is the only real prophet. Hmm. And they read them so that they may know how to work against us. It's interesting. He was converted. I know. I know. Oh, really? It's powerful. Let's let's close uh, close with a word of prayer, and then if someone wants to stay, you are welcome for doing that. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for uh, sending us a prophet uh, in the time we are living. Thank you for all the blessings we we will get by following the counsel you have given us there. Help us, God, to, to always trust in your counsel, even though we don't always understand maybe why you say things. Mm-hmm. Help us to trust in it. And help us also to rightly understand what it means to us, God. You know, sometimes, you know, we can misunderstand things and, and you know, it can lead to fanaticism. And help us to understand what you, and apply it rightly. And help us to, to, yeah, God, help us always to not only be hearers, but doers, to, 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 to embrace your word, God, and step by step, by doing that, become more like you, and, and so that we can be led into the good and perfect plan you have for each and every one of our lives. Uh, help us also to, to help others to get, gain confidence and gain the blessings that are in these inspired books and messages you have given us. Uh, That is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.